Well, it's been a great journey as we've walked through the book of James as we head now to our third week, if you're just joining us, if, it's, if you're coming into this a little bit late. Uh, the title of our sermon series is Putting Feet to Our Faith. Putting Feet to Our Faith. And I've said before, and I'll be happy to say again, that the book of James, more so than any other book in the New Testament, is the most practical book to teach us how it is that we're supposed to live the Christian life. And as with many things in Christianity, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Now, in the first week, we talked about having joy in our trials because we know that the purpose of a trial is to make us more like Jesus. Last week, we talked about gaining godly wisdom in the midst of trials, seeking God to give us wisdom to live the life that God has called for us to live. But I want to connect the dots as we move on here to our third week in James. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And the title of our message today is An Eternal Perspective on Our Earthly Pursuits. An eternal perspective on our earthly pursuits. So as we get ready to dive into the message, I want to prime your heart and your mind. So I'll start with something to think about. Something to think about is this. What do you spend the most time of each week of your life pursuing? What do you spend the most time each week of your life pursuing? As I prepared this message, I thought of an ideal illustration from my own life that I think makes a lot of sense in light of eternity. So when I was growing up, I was about four years old. My parents moved to a house on 108 Westminster Drive in Wallingford, Pennsylvania, in the south suburbs of Philadelphia. And one of the first things that my father did was uh, granted one of my big wishes. My wish was to turn our driveway into a legitimate basketball court. And so my father took what was just a gravel driveway, he tripled its size and width, and he did a Sykes Brothers quality paving on uh, on the driveway. And so we had this huge driveway... And then my father bought this uh, regulation-sized basketball hoop, cemented it into the ground, and even got up on a ladder with a tape measure and made sure the rim was exactly 10 feet off the ground, just like all the professional courts are. And from when I was old enough to be able to bounce a basketball, my dad got me my first indoor-outdoor all-weather Spalding basketball, and I bounced that thing at such a degree that I drove the neighbors crazy. And from when I was five years old till I was about 17 when we moved from that house, I would venture to say the amount of hours that I spent in that driveway were astounding. Now, it was a great thing, and I don't regret it, and that's not the point for for this illustration, but you'll see where I'm going here in a second. So I used to take my boombox out there, okay? My favorite radio station in Philadelphia was Q102, and I'd put it on and just play basketball for hours and hours and hours. It's all I did. Well, one day I moved from that house when I was 17 years old. My mother bought a house. uh, My parents divorced. My mother bought a house on the other side of town. Uh, and uh, I remember looking in the rearview mirror at that basketball hoop. I had spent more time with that hoop than anything else. I remember all the winters where I shoveled out the driveway. A couple of years, I even switched out the nylon net for a, one of those um, link, those chain link nets, and that worked for about a year. And I put the nylon net back on because it's a little bit quieter late at night. But here's here's what I'm getting at. About two or three years later, when I had gone to college at Georgia Southern, I came home for the. Uh, for I think it was Thanksgiving break, and I got in the car and decided to drive back to the old house. And you know what I noticed? The hoop was gone. Everything that I had put my heart and soul into that I thought meant so much to me and would mean so much to the person who bought the house after me, you know what they did? They took a sledgehammer to the concrete, they broke that hoop up into about five or six pieces, they dragged it to the curb, and everything that I had pursued for so long amounted to absolutely nothing but memories. Now again, I don't, I don't 
regret for one day that the hours I spent on that court, it was good for my physical health, it was good for my mental health, the hours I got to go out and think and process what it meant to be a teenager growing up in Philadelphia in the early 90s. However, when I think about the things that we pursue in our lives right now, I think that's the perfect illustration because we think it's so important at the time. But yet our wealth, which is what we're really going to be talking a lot about here today, something that we store up during our lives, we hand it down to the next generation or we hand it down to the person who comes after us and they can squander it away as quickly as the new owner of that house threw away that basketball hoop. So what are we really pursuing with our lives? What's the most important thing that we do each week as our feet hit the streets? That's what we're going to talk about here today. So what's the big idea? What do I want us to think about as we open up this passage? True prosperity will never be found in the riches and honor of this world, but in an eternal relationship with God. That's the big idea. That's what James is going to be showing us as we walk through this passage. So I want to bury that in your heart and let God make it bloom as we walk through this passage together. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James. Again, we're still in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to grab the one right in front of you in the pew. It'll be page 1199 in your pew Bibles. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, we're in James chapter 1. This is verses 9 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we thank you and praise you for this beautiful day that you've made. Father, it is so hard to cast our focus on eternity when there are so many earthly temporary things that are sitting heavy on our minds right now at this very minute. The food we're going to eat at lunch, the meetings that we have to prepare for next week, all the other things in between. Father, I just pray in the next 20 minutes or so as we open up your word that you would calm our mind, that you would calm our hearts, and that you would enable us to be in the moment that we think about the eternity that you've laid before us and all the decisions that we make leading up to the eternal life that you are preparing. Help us to understand these things in a greater way through the guidance of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Only three verses in this particular passage. James has a lot to get out in a very short period of time. And so we see, especially in chapter 1, he's coming after you with one idea after another. And sometimes it could seem so random but there's, there's, there's dots to be connected here. Again, the first week we talked about trials and having joy in the midst of those trials because you're becoming more like Jesus. In the second week, we talked about gaining wisdom to be more like Jesus in the midst of those trials. And then today we're, we're talking about pursuits, having an eternal perspective and allowing that perspective to enable us to persevere again in the midst of trials. And remember that we said back in week one, if you weren't here, this is a, this is, Instruction, if you were here, this is a reminder. James is writing this letter 
to Jewish Christians. These are Jewish people who've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've been cast out of their homes. They've been cast out of their jobs. They're scattered all over Palestine, and they've become poor for the cause of Jesus Christ. And they're going through unbelievable trials. And and James is saying, have joy in those trials and ask for wisdom in those trials. Well, today he's saying, have perspective in those trials. Understand what this looks like from an eternal perspective. So there's, there's three things that I want us to see as we walk through the passage here. And the first of those three as we get this eternal perspective is this. Number one, let us look at an eternal perspective of the poor Christian. An eternal perspective of the poor Christian. Verse 9, very short verse, says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So let's define our terms as we walk through the passage here. First of all, let's stop there at the word lowly. Okay, what does he mean by lowly? Well, if you read the rest of the passage, it makes sense that he's contrasting poor with rich. So we know that lowly is poor financially. All right, financially poor in a temporary earthly world. That is the lowly brother in Christ. And yet he says to boast. What does it mean to boast? You know, the Bible condemns boasting for the most part because that's usually arrogance. It's usually bragging. It's usually ungodly pride. But yet you get to this passage and he says, boast. So what does he mean? In this particular context, he means to rejoice, to glory in. And it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. If you're poor, you're the lowest of the low when it comes to your finances because of the cause of Christ. He's saying to rejoice in that. Why should I rejoice in that? You get to the end of the verse and it says, rejoice or boast in your exaltation. What does that mean? It means to rejoice in the eternal riches that you have because you know Jesus Christ. He's saying, though you are poor by the standards of the world, you are filthy rich when it comes to the eternal standards of God. And you have a a reward awaiting you in God's kingdom because of your faithfulness here on this earth. Now, as we walk through the whole Bible, we see God specifically through the Old Testament and the New Testament talks a lot about the poor. Okay, the one passage that comes to my mind right away is the Beatitudes, all right? The Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about this in the Gospels in, in uh, Matthew and in, in Luke. I'll just quote one verse, Luke 6.20. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, it says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to make two big distinctions here today between the rich and the poor. Here's the first of the two, okay? We need to understand this. Being poor by itself doesn't make you righteous, It's not that God looks at those who have less and says they're more righteous than those who have more just because they have less. All right. Being poor does not necessarily make you righteous. Being poor as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully does. There's a big difference between that because there are many people in this world who are poor because they're unrighteous, because they're not using their resources the way God is inscribed for them to do. They're poor because they're not following God. They're making bad choices. They're squandering all their resources. So being poor by itself doesn't make you righteous. But those who are poor because they're following the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not holding on to the wealth that God has given them. Or in this particular case, they've abandoned their jobs and they've abandoned their homes because they're going to follow Jesus, even if it means to their own death. That type of poor, he says, boast in it because you'll be exalted at the very end of your life. There's a great illustration. One of my favorite authors, a gentleman by the name of Randy Alcorn, 
Perhaps you've heard me mention him before. He's written a book on heaven, which I think right now is the definitive book on heaven that's out there in Christian bookstores. But he writes on a lot of different things, and his ministry is called Eternal Perspective Ministries. I think he could preach this sermon better than anybody. But he told a story one time about how he went to a Bible conference. And at that Bible conference, he struck up a friendship with the bellhop at the hotel. Now, the bellhop, he could tell, was not very financially wealthy. All right, He probably didn't have a great education. But he was humble, he had a servant's heart, and he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the very end of the conference, Randy Alcorn felt compelled to buy him a gift. And so he walked up to the bellhop and he gave him this gift and the bellhop started crying. And the bellhop said to him, who am I that you would give me this gift? I'm just a bellhop, I'm nobody. To which Randy Alcorn said, you're going you're gonna to rule cities in the new heavens and the new earth. Because you've been faithful with a little and God's going to make you faithful over much. That's someone who's poor in spirit. Someone who's actually poor financially. But because they're following the Lord Jesus Christ, they're saying, boast in that, in that lowly state because you're going to be exalted through the riches in Jesus Christ eternally. God is going to reward us for our faithfulness to Him. All right, So that's an eternal perspective of the poor Christian. Let us take number two, a look at the eternal perspective of the rich Christian. All right, if verse nine says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, put your eyes on verse 10. It says, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So the lowly, we pretty much understands the poor. The rich, guess what the rich means? <laughs> the rich. Those who are financially wealthy those who have great financial assets in a temporary earthly world. All right? And he says, you too should boast if you're rich, but boast in your humiliation, to which we stop and say, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean being rich is a sin? Does it mean that it's evil? Well, no, not necessarily, and we'll get to that in a minute, but basically what he's saying is rejoice in the humiliation that your earthly riches are nothing compared to the eternal riches of Christ. Boast that what you have that you know is nothing compared to Jesus. It's humiliating compared to how great he is. So I bo if I boast in anything, I boast in what I have is nothing compared to what I will have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so I said I was going to make two distinctions. Here's the distinction I want to make about the rich. I said, just because you're poor, that doesn't make you righteous. Well, just because you're rich, that doesn't make you evil either. However, I think there's some ways that we can determine if our, our, our wealth and the way that we pursue our wealth is truly honoring to God or if it's not. I just want to give you three things to think about in the seat right now. Okay, think about this. The wealth that you have, and there are very few of us in this room that would consider ourselves wealthy, but by the standards of the world, everybody in this room is incredibly wealthy. All right, I remember doing the mission trip in El Salvador, and most people didn't have a roof on the top of their house. They didn't have clean clothes to put on their kids. If you have a roof, if you have clothes, if you've been fed, you're wealthier than three-fourths of the world. So, ask yourself these three questions about the wealth that you have. How was it acquired? How is it being used? What place does it hold in your heart? All right, let's walk through those three things. A, how's your wealth acquired? Is it being acquired illegally? Okay, are you having to cut corners come tax season? 
Are you doing uh, financial gymnastics come April 15th because you're able to cut corners and gain a little bit more profit for yourself because you know how to work the system? All right, what about immorally? Have you got it through gambling? Okay, what about through working so many hours that you, you, you drop the ball on your responsibility with your family and your children? You become a workaholic and start storing up all these treasures. All right, if that's the case, then the way that you're pursuing that wealth, the way that you've acquired that wealth, I would say is something that doesn't honor the Lord. All right, what, what about how it's being used? Where does the majority of your money go? Does it go into your home? Does it go into leisure and comfort and vacations and weekends on the coast? Does it go to your assets as you manage your portfolio and you become best friends with Dow Jones and you're staring at him every single day as the Dow goes up, you're happy. As the Dow goes down, you're upset. What about your retirement? Or what about, this is a heavy one for everyone, myself included, your children. Somebody said this to me this week and I I painfully have to agree. The, the chosen idol of worship in this community is children. Some of us have taken our love for our children and we've elevated it to a status of worship. And I can tell you as someone who's only been a father for almost six months, I see how quickly it could get there. Because that daughter, my, my baby girl is my universe right now. I totally understand. And so I'm not condemning. I'm standing alongside you and saying, we need to be careful. We need to be very, very careful about loving our children to the point that we worship them. And, and one of the ways that we can gauge that is, what are we doing financially? There's, hey, listen, we need to support our children, okay? The one who doesn't support his family is worse than a non-believer, according to Scripture. But I also know, having been a substitute teacher at Metter High School and walked through the, the student lot and seen luxury automobiles like I've never seen before in my life, I know not every family can afford those things, but people are going into unbelievable debt because they want to make sure their kids have the very best of everything. We have to challenge ourselves and say, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Does this truly honor God? And do we really believe that our greatest treasures are in heaven or are we storing them up here on the earth? Finally, what place does the uh, see? What place does your finances hold in your heart? Is it hindering you from having a relationship with God? Is it hindering you to growing closer to God? Here's the here's the here's the way that you can measure this. Do you give? And I'm not just saying to this church, although your local church, for those of you who are visiting, whatever your church is. Do you give to your church and to the kingdom, maybe through the Guido ministry or other outreaches? Do you give to these ministries to the point where you would say it's sacrificial? Do you give to the point where it, when, you, when you put that plate in the, or that check in the plate, it hurts a little bit? You don't know exactly how God's going to re- replenish that. Do you give that way? Or do you give in such a way that if you were to die and find out that Jesus wasn't real, you still would have no regrets. If that's the case, then the Apostle Paul is lying in Corinthians. Because what he says is that if we believe in Jesus Christ only for this life, we are most to be pitied. And what that means is, if you're living for Jesus Christ in such a radical, sacrificial way, both with your time and with your money, that when you die, if you find out that Jesus was not real and all this was playing games, then you're the most pitiful creature on the planet because you gave everything for that cause. But, Could you say that you're living your life in such a way that if you found out there wasn't Jesus, you would have said, I had a great life anyway. 
the way I spent my time, the way I spent my money. Yeah, I gave a little bit as far as an offering. Yeah, I, I volunteered for a program or two once in a while. I made it to church when things weren't happening on the weekends, but I still had a full life. Paul, in in the New Testament, specifically in his letters to the church in Corinth, he says it over and over and over again, that you should be living a life that makes no sense to the rest of the world who isn't Christian. And so when it comes to our wealth, and, and let me say this as a pastor, there's no rule book here. We don't live under the law, we live under grace. So I can't stand up here and say that we should give this amount, this many times a year, for this many ministries, God has to lead your heart because every person's called to give in a different way. And, and I'll say it again. I don't look at anybody's giving records. I don't know who gives what. It's not my business. I will never, nor do I want anybody looking at my records. We give joyfully because God loves a cheerful giver. But I will say this. Do you give beyond your level of comfort? Do you give in a way that you would consider if you stood before God and say, yes, what I gave, I felt it. It was sacrificial. That's the type of giving that will tell us where money sits in our heart. I think there's no other better way to gauge that. You know, a great illustration of that out of the scriptures is in the book of Matthew chapter 19, where you see the rich young ruler, all right? The rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be a part of the kingdom? I, I, all my life, I've followed your commandments and I've done this and I've done this. And he kind of stands up there boasting and prideful towards Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, great. And the Lord Jesus, knowing the human heart before you even speak a word says, okay, Sell everything you have and follow me. And I, I just imagine the rich young ruler going, wait a minute, everything? Jesus says, yeah, everything. When the apostle Peter joined me, he let his, he let his fishing boats go back out into the Sea of Galilee. He cut his ropes, he cut the anchor. He, he's in it for the rest of his life. When Matthew decided he was going to follow me, he quit being a tax collector. He had no more income. He's going to follow me. He's, and they cut bait. They're going to follow me. They give up everything. You can do the same thing. When it comes to our money, Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Would you be willing to give up everything for the kingdom? That's how we know if we have the type of riches that honor God. And we also know that we should be boasting in our humiliation because nothing compares to the riches that we'll have in Christ. One of, the, one of the most helpful discussions I ever had, I don't want to embarrass him because I didn't ask permission for this, but um, Dr. Larry Guido, Papa, you, you, you said something to me in your office a couple of years ago that has just made an indelible mark in my heart. I came to his office as a new Christian and I kept saying, how do I live in the world but not of the world? Does that mean I shouldn't enjoy anything? That I should drive a jalopy? That I should wear uh, disgusting clothing and eat nothing but bread and just... every second of the day for the kingdom of God. To which he said, no, God does want you to enjoy certain things. He said, but the best example I could ever give you is my brother, Michael. And I said, what about Michael Guido? He said, Bo, Michael Guido had three desires. Remember this, Papa? He wanted to eat good food. He wanted to wear nice clothes. And he wanted to drive a nice car. And that was it. Did he eat well? From what I understand, Miss Audrey was a heck of a cook and she made sure three square meals were on that table. Did he wear good clothes? Well, we've seen enough seeds from the sower to know that he had the very best. Did he drive nice cars? For those of you that have read his biography, you know of a gentleman by the name of Buick Bill that made sure that he had a new Buick every year. And then later on in his life, Tim Redding at Metter Ford also made the same commitment to him that he have a new vehicle each year. But he didn't own them. He just used them for the ministry. So as, as things came into his hand, they also came out of his hand. 
As God gave, he enjoyed, but he gave back because his life was focused on the kingdom of heaven. Can we say that as well? Are we wanting to have to have that, the, uh, the deed to that car? It's ours. It's mine. Do we have to have the deed to that house? Do we have to have all this acquired wealth so that we can look at it and organize it and love it and display it? Or are we willing to live our lives in such a way that we can say, yeah, I've got some nice things that I enjoy, but I boast in its humiliation because it is nothing compared to living for the Lord Jesus Christ in all of eternity. That moves us on to number three as we draw to a close. We've looked at an eternal perspective of the poor Christian, an eternal perspective of the rich Christian, but let's get a summary statement here. Let's look at an eternal perspective of all earthly pursuits. All right, verse 11 says this, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. If there's, if there's one thing I could say in this final passage that James is doing, he's giving a contrast between the permanent and the perishable. What is permanent is the kingdom of heaven. What is perishable is all the things that we're not storing up in heaven, but we're collecting here on this earth. We say we believe it. And I believe there are many of you in this room who are genuine Christians. Your heart has been genuinely changed. You're a legitimate Christian. You're here because you want to hear the word of God. You want to follow the Lord. And yet there's something in your life you're not willing to let go of for Jesus. James is saying it's like a flower that's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Why would you spend so much time collecting flowers that will fade when eternal riches are laid before you. Again, I'll just say this before we close. And again, I'm not just saying this for Cedar Street. I'm saying this for the kingdom of God as a whole. The anecdote to ungodly wealth is giving sacrificially. When God moves in your heart to do those type of things, all of a sudden the attitude becomes, now I, <clears throat> now I want to see the kingdom. I've stored up so many treasures there. I got this storage unit in heaven and I already got the combination to the lock. I want to get there and see it. Have you ever seen the, uh, the, the TV show Storage Wars? Where, they, where they, you win an auction to a storage unit and you just can't wait to open it and see what's in there. Well, I think in some ways that's like the kingdom of heaven. When you give and give and give and you don't hold on to the things of this world and you boast in nothing but the exaltation in Christ and all the worthly materials that you have, they're, they're humiliating compared to Christ. All your thoughts and all your, your direction and all your motives go towards the kingdom of heaven. That makes it exciting because as you move closer and closer and closer to being with the Lord, you're not moving away from things that you're going to lose. You're moving towards things that you'll gain. That's the Christian life. And I, I, as, we, as we prepare to pray out, I, just, I, I pray that for me and I pray that for all of us that when we, we cross these hurdles and we have these desires to, to buy things and to acquire things that bog us down, that get us into debt over our eyeballs, that we stop and say, I'm going to cut the nets loose so that I can be free to worship God. I can be free to jump onto the mission field if God calls me to. I can be free to do this and free to do that because my house doesn't own me. My vehicles do not own me. My possessions do not own me. Jesus Christ owns me and I live for Him. So let's sum all this up. If I could sum this up in one sentence, I would say this. When we look at our earthly pursuits eternally, 
our relationship with Jesus Christ is all that really matters. One, one day, all that's done on this earth will pass, and as the hymn says, all, only what's done for Christ will last. It's all that matters. So what's our takeaways? Three quick things and I'll finish. Three questions to ask yourself. Maybe, maybe stick these questions in your Bible. Maybe today's not the day you're going to meditate on this, but God's going to bring you back to it, okay? A, do I care most about what God cares about most? B, have I given my time and my money sacrificially to God? Am I giving up something I really want for something I really love, which is Jesus? And then C, what have I done with my gifts that will last forever? Okay, that could be spiritual gifts and also physical gifts. What have I done with what God has entrusted to me to advance the kingdom of heaven? I love James because he just cuts right to the chase. He pulls no punches when it comes to serving the kingdom of God. And he, he's got his eyes fixed on heaven. And I pray that our eyes and our hearts would be walking with James as we walk with the Lord. As we have this eternal perspective of our earthly pursuits. Let us pray together. Father, we do love you so much. And we thank you and praise you that you're a good God and you do give us things to be enjoyed, but never to hold on to. Father, I pray that your spirit would do something that would just make us stand back in amazement. I pray that your Holy Spirit would capture the hearts and minds of people in this room who are in shackles over temporary things that have been keeping them back from worshiping and preparing for eternal things. Father, you know who they are. You know what the needs are. You know where, where the shackles are. <clears throat> I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and saturate their mind and their hearts and that sacrificial giving of time and money in this community for your kingdom would start to take place, Father, in a way that we've never seen before. Let us have our minds fixed on eternity for your glory and for our good. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.